Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Saludos amigos and welcome to a brand new episode of Jack Daniels presenta Pili, Raul and La Musica. We're super excited for our guest today. It is Captain Planet, a world traveling DJ and music producer who blends global roots music styles with forward thinking hip hop, dance hall and electronic beats. The great fashionista that he is, good friend of the family, of course, loves his tie dye shirts. So let's get into it. It's Captain Planet with us right here on Pili, Raul, and La Musica. Four albums in, countless singles, remixes. We have producer, remixer, DJ, dancer, of course. Tie-dye aficionado, Mr. Chuck Wild, a.k.a. Charlie B. Wilder, a.k.a. Captain Planet, joining us right here on Pili, Raul, and La Musica. Welcome, Chucky. How's it going? Wow. Thank you, guys. That was a great intro. I appreciate it. I really appreciate having this, this little opportunity to chat with you guys and share some stories. It gets lonely out here in quarantine zone, you know? I know. Right? Well, we're happy to share your story. And, and Raul, you missed out on fashionista and amazing <laughs> ring wearer. Tur turquoise aficionado. <laughs> turquoise aficionado. Well, I, I try to put in the tie-dye because I know you're a fan of those tie-dye shirts. I got gemstones all over my studio, you know? I, I collect the, the powers of the nature. The powers of nature, man. Well, yeah. once again, welcome to Pili, Raul, and La Musica, and it's great to have you. You know, we've been big fans of your music for a long, long time, specifically over at KCRW. You always make our best of the years at the end, and we always just really enjoy playing your music and listening to your vibe. So welcome once again. Well, thank you so much, Raul. I mean, I got to just say a big thank you to you. You've been a huge supporter, and, um, you know, that means a lot to me. That definitely means a lot to me. It's given me a lot of encouragement. And hearing you guys play my songs is always like such a thrill every single time. So. I'm loving the DJ love from DJ to DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about DJing, you started DJing in your teens. How did you actually get exposed to DJing and what were you playing back then? So my original exposure to DJing was I was already making music. I was, you know, playing drums and guitar, just kind of self-taught doing everything in bands and stuff like that. And then in my junior year in high school, I was doing this like uh, study, like city as school program in New York City. And I actually got suspended because <laughs> it was a, you know, it was a dorm, dorm situation. And the teacher, one of my teachers came into my room and it was not co-ed but there were four feet sticking out of the blanket. So <laughs> needless to say, um, I was suspended and had to meet my girlfriend's parents in a very not pleasant way. Oh my God, so awkward. But during that suspended time, the only place for me to go was some old family friends in Brooklyn. 
So I was staying at their house for like, you know, whatever it was like four or five days I was suspended. And the older <laughs> brother, who was a little bit older than me, was the DJ and had turntables. And, you know, I was already really listening to a lot of hip hop, but I didn't have any real concept to how it was made or like what actually a DJ even did. But seeing him and, you know, looking back, he probably wasn't very good, but just seeing him like have doubles I remember still the the record that he had doubles of and just seeing him you know juggle like the really roughly and do some scratching and I was like oh my god can I try that and then I was just hooked like when when I saw how you can just manipulate sound with your hand so I was already making music and stuff but then I was like that's what I want so uh later on I guess it was my birthday my like 16th birthday I got his hand-me-down Gemini belt drive turntables <laughs> totally. And that's and then I was like, oh, this is why he was bad at juggling. They're belt drive. Like, what? <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, that got me hooked. And then around the same time, I remember with that same girlfriend watching like watching this weird, like, I don't know, late night, just random TV. There was this documentary that came on that was about this guy from like the 50s. I can't remember his name, but it it might as well have been like Art LeBeau. And it, what he was, was a party stimulator. This was like a documentary about this dude from back in the day, like before they even really had profession of a DJ. And you talk about me being a dancer, like that. when I saw this documentary about this guy, I had never heard of it, even such a thing existed. But this is a documentary about this guy back in the day who was a party stimulator. And I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> this guy just shows up and he like gets the music hype and gets everyone dancing. And this was from way back, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't know, those things all kind of collided at the same time. And there you go, that was the little spark. That's so cool. Billy, that should be our next profession, party stimulator. I, I gotta know. find what that documentary was. <laughs> I, re I, never, like, I never even remember who the guy was, but I just remember like watching this and like that term just always stuck out for me, you know? I kind of like that term even more than DJing because at the end of the right? day, that's what he was, exactly. right? Yeah, forget about playing records. Let's yeah. just be a party stimulator, yeah. man, and, and hype it up. Yeah. That's very cool. So then you start really dabbling into DJing and getting into the whole idea of world music. And man, specifically, where were you first introduced to Latin music and how that started to influence you as a kid? My first like groundbreaking experience with Latin music was when I was again back in, you know, those formative years in high school. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, my mom was always playing some stuff you know, like different, like, you know, a little bit of African music, a little bit of Latin music. And then there was a concert in San Francisco. That's where I was mostly living for most of my high school. It was the Bay Area. And uh, it was, I didn't even know the artist at the time. But my mom, knowing that I love drumming and music, she's like, I think you should get a ticket to go. I went with nobody. I went solo to see on the same lineup, Tito Puente, <gasps> Eddie Palmieri, and Cachao. Oh wow. my! I didn't even know who they were. God. <laughs> you're, you're like walking into royalty. My mom was just like, "I think you would enjoy this. I think you would enjoy this." So I went to this like grand ballroom in San Francisco alone, and then these guys started to rip. And then there was this beautiful young girl in front of me, just like putting on the salsa moves. And I was like, "I'm sold! Like <laughs> this is it! This is it!" <laughs> so. <laughs> That's when I realized like what a party stimulator could actually do. See Tito Puente, I was like, oh my God. So yeah, yeah, that concert will just, I mean, that was a game changer, you know? 
But just to be clear, like your background, you're you're American or was your mom Latina? How was your mom exposed? My mom is like Ukrainian Jewish. So no, no, no actual Latin X blood that I know of. Um, but that's also one of the things I think is funny is like, you know, learning more about like Latin music history. Like there's always been Jews changing their names to like, you know, something that is not Jewish sounding and like starting a Latin band, you know what I mean? <laughs> Even like some of the Fania greats, you know, like, a lot of these dudes were, or even like, you know, Symphony Sid, they, these were like old Jewish dudes from the Bronx who just started doing Latin music, you know, and they've always been in there creeping in. Um, but I don't know, I, I, there's no necessary explanation, but you know, other than just loving, loving the rhythms and you know, like those experiences that just hit you like that, that night, that one night, just seeing, seeing those, those legends. And, you know, then of course that starts something and then you keep going and you keep going and then, when I was in New York during college, I was working in Washington Heights. I was doing, um, my my job was like, while I was in school, I was doing like, a, what's it called, a work study. So I was working in public schools. And I my the school I was assigned to was in Washington Heights, which is basically the Dominican Republic 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> so I was surrounded by, you know, immigrants and kid working with kids. And I, my job, the, the main thing that I was excited about was trying to um, do like a little music making program with these kids. Hmm. So I was trying to get kids, a lot of whom like were just trying to start learning English into like writing songs and making beats and stuff like that. So immediately, of course, I, we started like making reggaeton and like, you know, I remember one of the teachers there had to teach me how to dance bachata and like I had to get up in front of the whole school, you know. So I think just being immersed and then and then uh, also like my first real consistent good DJ gig that I ever had was at a Latin club in Brooklyn where, you know, that was just kind of like luck of the draw. Like it could have been anything like I, I was playing hip hop. I was playing all kinds of stuff. But the first real good gig that I got was at this Latin club where they, you know, it was a lot of Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Colombians, and they wanted to hear that music and they would come up, you know, those are the, I would bring my vinyl every week and I would bring my little book of CDs and they would come with requests. There's, you know, there wasn't the Shazam and stuff back then. It, and you, it was a little harder to dig for things, but people would come up and be like, oh, you need to know this, you need to know that. So I just had to keep doing my research to keep the crowd happy. And Well, first of all, like kudos to your mom for being uber cool and giving you that <laughs> ticket. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty high up in the coolness factor, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. She <laughs> definitely always had a lot of that, you know, global sounds in, in the household for sure. So what is what is it do you think about these rhythms that attracted you to play them? Before I was making music, Raul already like, you know, teased it, but like I was dancing. So when I was a real little kid, I was actually doing tap dancing and like basically any kind of dancing I could. I did I did like African dance classes and uh, even a little ballet. Like I was just like wanting to dance. Mainly tap dance was my main thing. But as I hit middle school. Did you want to go to Broadway or something? Sure, you know, like, yeah, I loved performing and I loved dancing, but I didn't necessarily have like the big goal in mind, but I just loved doing it. But then, you know, as you you hit middle school, when I first was growing up, I was in like rural New Hampshire. 
So it wasn't that cool to be like the boy in spandex, you know what I mean, <laughs> doing tap dance routines. So I definitely got pushed into a locker or two and I got teased. The funny thing is I am actually very much a straight man. And, you know, here I was like in, the, in these classrooms and on stages with all like I was the only dude. I was surrounded by girls who were like, oh, Charlie, we love you, Charlie. You're so good at dancing. <laughs> Um, they didn't talk like that, but, um, so I was like, what do you guys, you guys think I'm gay? Are you kidding me? Like, do you see what's going on here? But that, <laughs> that prompted a pretty quick about face when I was like, fuck this. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I got to take these tap shoes off and I'm picking up the drums. So, mm. um, yeah. So I think, you know, Latin music specifically always seemed, and a lot of Caribbean music and African music seemed more, um, kind of like specifically focused and like American funk too, which I was always really in love with, um, just more focused on the importance of dancing and danceability, you know what I mean? Like, Well, yeah, the freedom of moving your body. Yeah, so I don't, I can't necessarily explain it more than that, but just it always felt like it was made for dancing. And that's what I, that was my entryway into music was I want to dance, you know, so. Well, we always talk about like your your surroundings how and how you're definitely a product of your environment. And going out to New York and being over at WNYU during your college days, I, I want to talk about this show that you had called Passport back in the day. And that already lends itself to the music that you were playing from all over the world. Not just Latin music, not just African music, but everything infusing it all together. How did that show come about? I also, you know, like as an extension of just DJing more and more was kind of like, you know, I was I was still hip hop was still like my my main thing that got me like funk and hip hop got me into like, oh, as I'm making hip hop beats, I'm like sampling a little bit of reggae or I'm sampling a little bit of African music or I'm sampling a little bit of Latin music. And I was kind of exploring those sounds a bit. But then when I and so I started a radio show right as soon as I got to NYU. And it was like, it was not just global music. It was, you know, underground hip hop, funk, soul, and some Afrobeat, Latin funk, stuff like that. But then the like the director of the station said, you know, at one of our station meetings, like, we're looking for a new uh, show to go to prime time. And we really, one thing that we're lacking is, you know, a show that really focuses on global roots music. So I was like, sign me up. So it meant focusing specifically on that rather than like what I was doing before was just total free form, kind of more like KCRW where you will hear some Brazilian and other stuff, but it's all kind of mixed in. They wanted, a, you know, a one hour every week that was strictly, you know, global roots. So I was like, let me do it. And I only had, you know, some of that music at that point. And again, it was like one of those opportunities where I jumped to the opportunity and then I quickly had to educate myself a whole lot more. You know, so once I got that time slot and I burned through my few CDs I had, I was like, okay. And I started hitting up the Lincoln Center Library, which just had massive stacks, you know, rows and rows of global roots music. And I would just take out my, you know, whatever it was, 10 or 15 CDs every week, photocopy the liner notes, burn the CDs, bring them back, and then take another stack. And I still have all my books. It's like, half of the Lincoln Center in my closet. Oh, that's so, so cool. So that was a huge education. And as I, I did that show for about six or seven years, as I went on and on too, all the record labels who do put out that music would send me the promos, they heard about it. People who were fans and listeners 
would literally, somebody would drop off a crate of vinyl. You know, I remember one time showing up and there was a whole crate of like 70s Armenian records. That's so cool. I was like, what? You know, just the people listening, they're like, I don't know what to do, but this guy on the radio is playing all this crazy stuff. Let me give it to him. So yeah, like again, all you, these little like tributaries, you start going down them and then it just branches out and gets bigger and bigger. And the more that I was listening to all that stuff, the more I was sampling it in the hip hop music I was making until, you know, eventually the hip hop, like, I, you know, I was in like underground backpack rap group. And then I was like making some beats and I was like, this does not need any rapper on it. You know, this is like a whole thing all on its own. And it really like, you wouldn't want to rap on it. It's like too whatever. So that's where like the Captain Planet first idea came from to put out something that didn't have any rap on it. It wasn't, it wasn't hip hop. It wasn't funk. It was just this kind of global electronic thing. So where did the idea of naming yourself Captain Planet come from? I, I will start by saying I was certainly, that's one of those decisions I would have taken back if I could do again. Really? You know, I, was probably, I was probably 19 years old, putting out my first mixtape. And I was just like, oh, that's a fun name. It makes sense because I'm like, my, my sound is so global. But now, like, in the, anyone wants to Google Captain Planet, you're going to end up with, like, a Don Cheadle video and some old 80s cartoons. And, like, it didn't make my life easier. That's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah, I guess it just, you know, it was definitely a cartoon that stood out to me as a kid as always being different and fun, you know, and, like, having, like, a cool message. And also just the name, you know, it, it, seemed, it seemed to fit. So... Yeah, I don't know. That's what I roll with. But yeah, if I, if I could take it back. <laughs> what would you name yourself now? I'm stuck with it. It's too late. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is like when I first met you, you know, I totally thought your name was Carlos, you know, because really? I obviously knew of you from this kind of Latin side of L.A. and connecting with the different kind of Latin promoters and DJs and obviously your sound. It wasn't until later that I found out your name was Charlie Wilder, you know, I'm all like, wait a minute, something's not clicking here, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing collaborations with Chico Man, Nina Dios, all the Subsuelo guys, yeah. Quetzal, you know, I'm all like, um, wait a minute, something's yeah. not kind of jiving here. Now hearing your story and learning about, you know, that whole Tito Puente and Eddie Palmieri, I'm all like, aha, now I'm kind of seeing a little bit more of, but where did these collaborations come from? I mean, because... I, I want to know how you met up with Chico Man and how that kind of came about. Well, that that first happened actually back in my WNYU days. So, you know, I had that radio show and I would have guests on um, whenever I could get them. And sometimes I'd have live performances. And he was one of the people who like, you know, I think he had I had I was already a big fan of Antibalas and was had been to a bunch of their shows. And then he was just putting out probably one of his first EPs. And so somehow I got a hold of it and hit him up and said, hey, I would love to have you as a guest on the radio show. So he came on as a guest. You know, we just talked about his EP and what he was doing. And that's how we first met. And, you know, we stayed in touch. And um, I was just watching him, you know, kind of over the years. He stayed on the East Coast. I moved to the West Coast. And then I remember I did. A, it was actually a remix contest, even though we knew each other. There was like a. 
you know, Chico Man remix contest through one of those websites. And I was like, screw it, I'll enter that. And so I entered the contest and my remix was not first place. It was second place. (laughs) (laughs) But he still liked it. So my remix was second place because it was like a popularity thing, right? So like the one that got the most votes, it wasn't even Chico's favorite, but like that's the one that won. And then after I won that like second place in that remix contest, all of a sudden I get a call one day, he still had my number and he's like, hey, you know, that remix you did was cool. Like maybe we should collaborate on something. And so we just ended up having like an hour long chat. Wow. And then I sent him some rough beats and one of the rough beats I sent him was the very rough start of Un Poquito Mas. So that was, and you know, I think we made that without knowing anything more what was going to happen or whatever. But uh, um, yeah, and after that, we just kept saying, oh man, this works well. And like, let's do another one. And then he was moving out to LA. And as soon as he got to LA, the first thing that happened was we were like, let's make an album together. Is that when you made the move to LA or? I had already been out here. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. I was already in LA even when I did that, uh, that remix contest for him. So he was still on the East Coast. And we were just, you know, talking. When we made Un Piquito Mas, we were never in the studio together. <laughs> he was living in New Jersey, sending me like rough, rough uh, audio through the, through, you know, through the internet or whatever. I was getting all these rough stems. And I'd be like, uh, this is great, but can you send me more? Um, can you can you just send me some more? Can you just send me? I kept bugging him to send me more. Like he would he would send me like a tiny little thing. And I'd be like, that's great, but just I need more. <laughs> I need more. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so going back a little bit to what Raul was mentioning, you know, here comes his gringo into like the latin world and the hip-hop world did you always feel welcomed you know that's a really funny question because i was actually doing a meditation this morning about what like feeling welcome and wow i'm even feeling a little emotional it's weird but yes that's what's so strange is that like you know a lot of times um growing up i didn't feel like i fit in and like i said like feeling like i was teased a lot or whatever just not you know like trying to be in hip-hop trying to do this or doing that and i for whatever reason definitely like like in terms of especially like moving to la as soon as i went to like my first subsuelo event i felt so welcomed you know what i mean just like immediate community and i don't you know and it's not just you know latin culture but i don't know i just like that 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 particular scene always definitely welcomed me in certainly like um you know before i moved to the west coast when i was on the east coast and i was you know at you know djing in that main latin club like certainly i always felt super welcome there and yeah i never i never felt like uh I don't know. I just never felt like I had it to prove anything, you know, even though I was a gringo. People would be maybe confused, like, what kind of Rican are you? But, like, I never <laughs> felt like I had to prove anything. It was just kind of, like, curiosity, like, what, who is this guy? And even now, like, before, you know, quarantine and COVID and all that, my one regular gig that I still do, was doing every week, was at Kanya downtown, which is, you know, predominantly Latin club. And same thing, you know, everyone always... No one's giving me the side eye ever, you know? It's always just welcoming and just, you know, play that dope music. I don't know how you know this stuff, but you do. And so just <laughs> and keep you it know coming. It well. and yeah. It, 
it's something about dance culture. I really believe it's that because I've I've talked about this with Billy and a bunch of other guests we've had on in the past, um, specifically me making reference to house music and the dance culture there. But it goes the same kind of across the board when you're talking about whether it's anything kind of in Latin, where you're at one of the cumbia clubs or a salsa club or a house club or a techno club. It is a very welcoming sound, and the people that are into that vibe will take you in, and even if you leave it for a while, because people, you know, it's a generational thing. People grow up, they get married, they have kids, but you can come back years or decades later down the line and come back to one of those clubs, and it's going to be the same thing. You're going to be welcomed with open arms, because mm-hmm. it's it's just that movement that way to kind of express yourself by dancing, whether you're dancing salsa, cumbia track, a house track, whatever it may be, you know, those genres tend to just be so welcoming. And I love that that's what you felt from the get-go. Yeah, definitely not the the clubs where, you know, if if you're going to a concert or whatever, where everyone's just kind of standing around looking at each other, like, exactly. It's not, it's not that vibe. Once, once it's about dancing, like, all your your armor has to drop, you know. You kind of just have to let loose, and that makes the environment welcoming. Totally. I mean that that's what it is. It's like that guard of like you know trying to be like a who's who at a club scene or the bottle service stuff. You know that doesn't quite jive at a true dance club where everybody's there just really to get down, sweat, and like yeah. you said, let their armor down, let their guard down, and yeah. just have a good time because yeah. that's really what it is, is all this music is just uplifting and it it it, it evokes these emotions. And yeah. if you can just have a good time on the dance floor, that's really what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Don't go anywhere because you're listening to Pili, Raul, and La Musica presented by Jack Daniels, Make It Count, and we're here with Captain Planet. And I love how we all celebrate the music of the Latin culture, specifically here in L.A. And when you talk about Latin music in Los Angeles, you got to be at a subsuelo party. We've all been part of many subsuelo parties. Those are so special. Like, for those listeners who haven't been to a subsuelo event, can you please describe the vibe? Yeah, well, like like Raul just said, it's about it's not about money, first of all, <laughs> which I think is an important distinction, you know. And it's also kind of unfortunate that the, that the infrastructure that we're living in doesn't celebrate or doesn't kind of, unfortunately, you know, compensate people in a way that makes this be more normal. But it's not about money. Everyone who DJs or goes to a subsuelo event is doing it for the love and doing it because they want a place to dance, a place to be free, a place to hear really great music that you're not necessarily going to hear other places. And so it's yeah, it's just a, you know, it's a it's it's a cultural hub. That's all you can say. It's a place where you feel welcomed, you feel free, you feel like you're you're getting inspiration and and you know hearing great stuff that you haven't heard and and just connecting with folks that are like, you know, not necessarily like-minded, but are also in support and seeking the same these same things in their life. So, big shout out to the Subsuelo crew for sure. Yeah, yeah, and the and the crews that do similar types of things all around the world. You know, that's what my experience like when I am touring and whatever is like. 
there's these little pockets and these little groups and communities all around the world that are working hard to do this. Generally, they're not the ones making lots of money doing it. They're the ones doing it for the love, doing it because they, you know, they really believe in kind of like the energy, the positive energy and that what it creates in culture. So were you, were you there for the, the night that DJ Windows 98 played? No. <laughs> Uh-uh. Uh, Win from the band Arcade Fire, who's the uh-huh. lead singer. I can't believe I missed that, by the way. I met his manager at Coachella. Uh, okay. He was there with uh, with Bob Moses. And so we, we connected, right? And then a, a few weeks later, he gives me a buzz out of nowhere. And he's all like, hey, um, Win wants to go DJ somewhere in L.A. Are you doing a night? Are you playing anywhere? Uh, he wants to go play some Latin music. I'm all like... <laughs> Immediately, I call Canyon. I'm all like, yeah. Canyon, I can't be there. I got to go do this gig. I got to be out of town. But I don't know if you know who DJ Windows 98 is, yeah. but he wants to come DJ. Yeah, so amazing. he basically went to the Virgil and he DJed yeah. there with Canyon. Yeah. And now the the crazy thing about Win is it like nobody could know. It had to be totally unannounced. Right. I couldn't tell anybody, nobody. And right. he's all like... So he just showed up, you know, yeah. and I'm all like, Kenyon, dude, he's, he's going to go DJ with you. He's all like, apparently it was freaking mind boggling the whole yeah. night. Oh, but man. I, I just, I just thought see, you might have. Now, now I'm wondering, I might have been there and just not. <laughs> see, exactly. Some of the memories That's what aren't I'm as saying. clear as others. I might have been there, but they all, a lot of them do t- turn into a bit of a blur. But yeah, <laughs> there's, there was a lot of good nights when you would just be amazed at who shows up, you know. And that was the thing. Canyon like couldn't even announce him. And the guy was there like all night. And that's yeah. just, it just goes to show like how much of a fun time you're going to have at a place like a subsuelo party, whether it's at the Virgil or at Caña or, yeah. you know, all these different places that they've done. It's always just such a positive and, and uplifting vibe. And that's yeah. the beauty of dance music. And your name is synonymous with, like I said, your albums, but also remixes of Willy Colon, of Sir George, of View Facature, Anna to You, Niña Dios, who you, we've had on the show already on Pili yeah. en la Musica, which you can revisit yeah. that episode. Your name is kind of synonymous with this Latin alternative world. It definitely wasn't on purpose. I mean, I, I think that, you know, then once you have a couple things going, then people just, you know, people in those worlds start reaching out to you more. Um, but yeah, this was not like a, a path that I ever consciously chose. Like, oh, I just want to do, you know, Latin music. But it's just um, kind of naturally, you know, one step in front of the other. This opportunity presenting itself to that one. Um, and funny enough, you know, like, you know, like Nina, like I met her at a subsuelo like years before we even worked together, you know. And uh, another singer who I've worked with, Kat Dahlia, same thing. Met her at a subsuelo and now we're, we're working together. So, yeah, it's not like I tried to ever do that. It just kind of kept happening, you know. And um, certainly I feel like my art is just as influenced by, you know, American soul music, hip hop, funk and and dance hall. Tons of reggae and dance hall it was super influential to me. But just those opportunities haven't necessarily presented themselves as much. You know what I mean? Right. But I would love, I could do, you know, a whole al- whole reggae dance hall album. I could do a whole, you know, Afrobeat album easily, you know? So oh, it's just... Please do a reggae album. I'm yeah, a big, I would. <laughs> big reggae fan. I mean, I grew up yeah. in Puerto Rico and the first genre that I ever fell in love with was 
reggae. Yeah. Way before reggaeton or way before right. salsa or merengue, I fell in love with with reggae. So that'd be really yeah. cool. But it, it seems yeah. kind of like world music and Latin music chose you. And mm. and kudos to you two for not, you know, for taking it seriously and embracing the culture too and like studying the culture and studying the history of our music. Yeah. Because that also gives you so much credibility, you know. But yeah. we're here with two DJs. Obviously, you're a DJ. And what is the hardest thing of being a DJ, guys? Well, right now, <laughs> <laughs> let me show you the list. <laughs> we don't have that much time, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, buying groceries. Can I, can I put that on there? <laughs> it, it's been a tough year. That's for sure. 2020 was definitely a tough year for, for DJ culture, for DJ specifically, you know, producers and you came out with a with a great album with no visa and how long was that in the works for before it actually came out uh i would say that like you know some of the songs had actually been started you know some years back and it was kind of like a slowly pulling pieces together but then the a bit like probably like 50 to 60 percent of it happened like end of 2019 beginning of 2020 yeah, so the album comes out, critical acclaim, people dig it, people are playing it, and then obviously COVID hits and it shuts down all the gigs. But, you know, you you really took it by the horns and started connecting with your audience virtually, doing yeah. these uh, these sessions online. And to me, my the, the funniest thing of, of watching your live DJ sets is your dancing. I mean, I mentioned this <laughs> earlier, and I love, because immediately you play a record and you're dancing just like everybody else is. And yeah. it's just infectious. And I, I got to say, man, that, that's one of the things that I, I really value of, like, not only your DJ set, but a lot of DJs from around the world that are doing this. It's a way for your fans and like-minded folk to connect yeah. what has been kind of the 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 funniest thing that you've seen like within the chats or within the kind of like <laughs> the way people are connecting well, with each other yeah, not necessarily yeah. directly mean, with you once once you get onto some of those zoom parties where there's no moderators i've seen some <laughs> man i've been on i've been on a couple brazilian zoom parties where i was djing and people could start going like Clothing becomes less and less and less as the hours progress. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, man, it's it it is very it it's if it's like the it's like just a shred of what we normally get. But it's so important to have some semblance of that connection that we used to have so much of, you know, um, which is so much of what the music is about is about actual connections between people bringing to pe people together on a dance floor being a part of the music doesn't live alone on its own you know it, it's the music is there to be shared to be experienced collectively and so yeah that's been really hard to not be able to do that properly with the you know this album and and just in general in my life but thankfully you know technology has allowed some little bit of that to, to just keep me sane, you know? And I think also as much as I would DJ in my normal life before COVID, like I would be going out and dancing too, you know? Like I need that. So I, and that's, you know, I would, I go out to DJ sets. That's how I learn about so many great songs. And like, that's how I just let loose and let steam off and cheap therapy, you know, like dancing it out. So for me, just that one, at least one little time a week, trying to make that, you know, a, a priority. And then from there, I've had a few other, you know, invitations to do Zoom dance parties or whatever. I did a 
I did a high school graduation dance. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I've done, uh, yeah, what else have I done, man? I, but, uh, yo, I'm for hire, by the way. I'm for hire. Anyone <laughs> out there who has a, you got a funeral coming up? Hire me, man. I can play some nice, sad songs. Well, man, um, you know, I, I know, you know, besides being the DJ, you're, you're, you know, obviously technically very savvy as a producer as an engineer i mean you were telling me that you even worked for ariana huffington recently and that's like totally (laughs) left field from music (laughs) now you're into the whole like political news world that's been going on that we've all been just bombarded with lately but what did you do for ariana huffington i this was actually just last week i just recorded an audio i like you know due to covid she doesn't want to go into a studio to record her audiobook and she doesn't want to even have anybody really come into her house or anything. So I had to go into her house when she wasn't there, set up my whole like little stripped down recording setup, make it all ready so it's just like ready to go, microphone at her desk, everything perfectly. Then I went next door to another hotel room and set up my laptop so that I could remote control my own studio computer and press record for her. She didn't even want to press record. So like I recorded her like self-help motivational book that's going to be coming out. That's so cool. Hey, it's pushing you to diversify yourself. You got to do what you got to (laughs) do. But you've had some success, you know, with the sinks and stuff like that. On occasion, I'd go to my to my mom's house and, you know, and she would be watching TV and all of a sudden a commercial would pop on for Target and my mom is singing along to one of your songs. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, all right. Charlie has made it. My mom is singing along to a Captain Planet song with Chico Man. Something's going right. Right. Something's right. going right. So congrats. Well, that is on that what's so well. weird too. Is like, you know, you can work. I have this whole career since being, you know, like that's the, mainly the only real job I've had, and you can work so many hours and do so many gigs, and still, like the thing that monetarily has, at least in my career, supported me the most are the things that are the least fulfilling and i guess that makes sense to a certain extent but it shouldn't make sense it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't but this capitalist society just values certain things more than others and so like we're saying like you know like a, a one or two car ads and in fact the first way that i was able to ever quit my day job which was teaching still teaching kids was when i first i got my very first sync i got a song on uh entourage oh one of my songs on entourage so i was like i got a check and i was like screw this day job bye bye and like, that was really only, that was not necessarily a smart move it was like a check that could get me through like two months maybe but i was like screw it i'm gone this is it that's it so then i like quit you know and um but yeah that's what's so weird is like you're going along you're doing your gigs you're making your music and at at, at a certain point you also just have to have faith that even though you know your record sales aren't necessarily aren't going to support you and even though your gigs aren't going to like pay for your family and everything sometimes these sinks will come along these things that really have no meaning to me but if that's what it's going to be that helps you pay the bills and i'm so thankful that i have it at all but i mean it has to be super cool to hear your songs being placed in in tv shows like orange is the new black and like silicon valley and the bridge and like entourage like you mentioned not always not always okay so you mentioned silicon valley <laughs> okay tell me tell i don't me. know you probably didn't ever see this episode but the, the what the sync was it was like 
and I don't even watch that show, but if my song's in a show, I have of to course, watch it. Of course, yeah. But like the guy, one of the guys, like it was basically they synced my song and they were making fun of it in the show. Oh, no! <laughs> yes. So like they, they, it was like, it was some guy being like, this song is going to be work perfectly. And they played one of my remixes for Alsara. And the guy was like, oh man, this is really weird. And I was like, hey, <laughs> You use my song, go for it. You know what I mean? But basically, they were making fun of it. So, it, I, look, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, no, I mean, there's something cool just to, to know that, you know, some like it worked, that your music can work in places that it's not meant for. But one thing that I think has always helped me creatively is uh, it was a book that I read where they quote It was actually written by David Byrne. It was, I think it's called How Music Works. Yep. I have that book. And he's talking about one of the main things that he that he focuses on when he's writing music is thinking about where you want your music to play, right? I'm never thinking about an ad. I'm never thinking about the TV show or the sync. I really don't care. What I am thinking about, Raul, is your show. I'm thinking about the <laughs> DJs on KCRW. I'm thinking about Subsuelo. I'm thinking about the actual, like, I want to make a song that Raul's gonna play, that Garth's gonna play. I wanna make a song that everyone at Subsuelo is gonna lose their shit to. So I think about where do I want my song to be, to exist? And that helps, you know, me feel inspired, you know? Cause when you're in those places, when you're listening to the radio, when I'm listening to KCRW, I get so inspired. I'm like, oh, this is such cool stuff. When I go to Subsuelo, when I go to these parties, I hear the music and it, it, oh, this is so great. So I just wanna give back to that. I wanna make something that contributes to that. So the other stuff, the sinks, the licenses, you know, it's funny, whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think my favorite one, I got uh, one of my songs. And this was, I have songs from back when I was still rapping, you know, in hip hop. It was American Dad. Same okay. thing, okay. basically. Okay. Yep. All the American Dad people were rapping along to my voice and doing the dances to it. I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. But they're basically kind of making fun of it. But I don't care. Like, it's just funny. You would never know where it's going to end up, you know? Dude, That's it's hilarious. a great story. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be recognized. And I can yeah. only imagine that. Like like I said, you know, you walk into Subsuela and people are like, hey, Charlie, what's going on? Captain Planet's in the house, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, it feels like family. Or... Better than family, depending. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Let's Very just be true. real for a minute. <laughs> Let's be real. Like, Let's be honestly, real. sometimes it's better than family. And that's why it's that's maybe why it has so much meaning to me, you know? So you've done so much in your career and you have so many great stories. So Charlie, as part of our Jack Daniels Presenta Prita en la Musica, we want to ask our guests, what is it that you haven't done yet that you want to do and make it count? Hmm. Many, many things, but I think my immediate focus right now is on working on like my, my songwriting because I always, no matter who I'm working with, collaborating with, I'm always helping, you know, I'm always kind of there, um, giving ideas, melody ideas. Often I'm working with people who are singing in a different language that I'm not that, you know, fluent in or at all. So I give more like melody ideas, but right now, especially because there's no one coming into my studio right now. You know, like I'm alone so much of the time. I'm like, what can I really work on right now? So I'm really just trying to like get some songwriting chops up, you know? Like I've ever since I've been making music, I've always been writing song ideas and stuff, but it's a whole aspect. I've been so focused on the production and kind of supporting 
you know, that that side of it mostly. So now I'm really I'm like, okay, well, what am I doing now? Like, let's work on some songwriting stuff. Like, let's try to get my chops up in that category. So I don't know. That's that's my immediate focus. But there's a lot of big term goals I would love to have. Also, just, you know, I'm just trying to focus on a day when we can have live in person events together and um so that's those are immediate goals you know let's just get back to a a healthier world where we can be partying together and you know collectively and actually feeling the bass subwoofer frequencies on all together you know amen that's how i would make it count (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I miss the days of watching kids like dancing into a subwoofer remember that yeah just standing in front of it (laughs) oh man I'm all like, oh my God, you're going to be deaf in like 10 minutes, but hey, you're, you're having the time of your life. I was having a talk with one of my friends uh, a while back and he we, we were like, what was the loudest show you ever went to? And I was like, for me, it was Ronnie Size at the Limelight in New York. And he was like, bro, I was there too. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that show gave me tinnitus. <laughs> ever since that night, he's had tinnitus. I was like, "Oh shit, man! I'm, I thankfully my eardrums are just, haven't cracked yet, you know." But <laughs> wow, Billy, what was the loudest party you went to? I don't know. I think it was a Red Bull event, actually, at the Mark Sennett Studios. Oh wow! <laughs> I think it, and really? it was um, what's the DJ's name? It's like since oh, hot since '82, right? So I think it was that. But I wow. remember, Serious like base. when I lived in New York, I used to go to Limelight and yeah. That was pretty loud. That was a pretty yeah. good sound system. And it was, so, you know, it was like this old cathedral. It was such a cool place to hang out. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for taking us back through your journey. It's been such a pleasure. It's been super fun. And just like you, we cannot wait to dance, hug, sweat together. Yes. See the sunrise. <laughs> yes, I know. It'll, it's coming, you guys. We just got to be patient. See, we, we got to be, be patient. patient. That's true. Yep. And push but, forward, right? Push forward yeah, with the music. Keep pushing forward. Make sure that, you know, all of us artists don't go homeless in the process. <laughs> and uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Really, it's been fun. Super fun for me as well. So actually, as you say that, before we say goodbye, how can our listeners support you? Bandcamp, probably the best way. My um, DJ Captain Planet on Bandcamp. Um, yeah, check out the last album, No Visa. And yeah, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. There you go. Chuck, thank you, man. Really appreciate it and really love what you do. Much appreciated back at you. Peace, guys. All right, that's it for now. That was another cool episode of Jack Daniels presenta Billy Raul en la música. Raul, I love Captain Planet. Those were some really cool stories he shared with us. He's a fun guy. And of course, you know, we couldn't do this without the help of Jack Daniels. So thank you for supporting La Musica Latina. And of course, to Sure for hooking us up with some great quality sounding microphones. And definitely hit us up on the socials at Billy, Raul, and La Musica. Maybe there's an artist that's one of your favorites that you want us to interview on an upcoming episode. Feel free to hit us up. We're always looking at your messages and follow us, right, Pili? Así mismo es. And also, in case you didn't know, we have a monthly virtual event presented by Jack Daniels. They're super fun. We have amazing bands and artists being part of it. You won't want to miss it. It's free. So join us. More information on our socials at Pili Raúl en la Música. Raúl, always a pleasure working with you, amigo. Always so much fun. Abrazote, Pili. 
Chao.